Support for the following podcast comes from Glue. Glue has created software that helps get your church connected to the needs of your community. Resources on Glue are designed to help you reach people who don't typically go to church, but are still seeking prayer or have questions about Jesus or need help. And these needs are delivered directly to you. Help your church reach and serve more people each week with Glue. From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out. So listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that will equip your team and strengthen hope. My name is Laura Howe, and I wanted to welcome you to the Care Ministry Podcast. Now, the other day, I had to grab something from Walmart. Now, I tried to avoid going there at all costs, but sometimes the convenience wins and I just need to pop in for something, just one thing. And there is a clear difference between when I go to Walmart with a list and then when I go without a list. And I think some of you know where I'm going here with this. Without a list, I purchase the most random things as I walk through the aisles. I get home and I'm unpacking my car with everything from cereal to dog toys, socks. I even get a new water bottle one time, batteries, and a card for a birthday party that my kids are invited to next week. Likely, I have forgotten the milk, which is the reason I went in, and I was distracted by so many different things. But this past week when I went in, it was even worse. Oh my goodness, they had redesigned the whole store. The pet items were where the kids' clothes were, and the bathroom items were where the office supplies were. I was completely lost. First off, not having a clear idea of what I went in for. I just had this random list in my head, but also not knowing how to navigate the store once I got there. And this can be just what pastoral care sessions can feel like. Not sure of what you need when you go in and then having a hard time navigating the space once you are there. And this feeling is felt both by the pastor or caregiver and the person seeking support. So in this episode, I want to share a few strategies that will take the awkwardness out of pastoral support sessions and allow you to get the most out of your time. And in this episode, I'm offering a free downloadable intake form, which is going to be the first strategy I offer. But first, I want to identify that these strategies are helpful in all support sessions, not just for pastoral care. In order to offer support from your church that is both scalable and sustainable, most churches need to utilize mentors or coaches and peers to offer support and not just rely on pastors to provide care. Let me explain. Most churches are smaller and have fewer pastoral staff. And so if every person in the church has this expectation that they can speak to the pastor one-on-one, then that pastor is going to be quickly, very quickly overrun with requests for pastoral care. So I recommend that churches build up teams of spiritual care mentors, those who have lived experience, they have wisdom, and they have character that is suited to offer compassionate 
and confidential care for others. Now, this group of spiritual mentors could be called upon to support those in your church when the need arises. It's not like a schedule or a staffing thing. It's just as the need arises. And this model fosters having a culture of care, meaning that people are caring for one another, rather than a program of pastoral care. Care is only offered by the pastors. So regardless, if you are a spiritual mentor, you are a coach, or you are a peer, or if you are a pastor, these strategies are going to be helpful in how you can feel confident and intentional in your support sessions. So let's start with that first one of an intake form. My background is a clinical mental health social worker, and I've been working in the community mental health and addictions field for 15 years. So intake paperwork is standard for me. It is standard practice. It's the norm. This is what expected for every time someone sees went to see me. However, when I shifted to working in a church, the concept of having an intake paperwork or intake screener was really foreign. Some people didn't like the concept of paperwork prior to counseling. And I get it. It can feel too informal or it can feel clinical or it can make people feel uncomfortable. And in the context of ministry, caregiving work and support work is often very informal. It's usually done in the community, like in Tim Hortons or Starbucks or, you know, in someone's home or bedside at the hospital, or maybe it's just in the hallway after church. Uh, But I think it's really valuable to, to do some sort of screener prior to meeting, even if it's just asking a few questions over the phone. And let me explain why. In the clinical setting, there's often a multi-page intake screener when when you want to book an appointment to speak to a counselor. And you can fill that intake screener out in the waiting area or maybe even before um, you even get there. And you answer questions about the reason why you were there, what supports you have already tried, and the goals you have uh, for the meeting. These are all things that you are asked to submit prior to meeting with the counselor. And by doing the intake paperwork, the individual seeking support is encouraged to reflect on what the main issue is, uh, process what they've tried to do in the past, whether it worked or didn't work, whether they tried and failed, or whether they found success in some area. They are uh, asked to focus on what would be a successful outcome of the appointment, like the purpose or what they're expecting uh, for the appointment to achieve. And this is a significant amount of reflective work before the meeting even starts. And this is really helpful for the person seeking support. Now, when the counselor has this paperwork prior to the meeting, it gives them the opportunity to get in the right mindset and even identify what the person's goals are. Because working with someone who is a young person or a youth is very difficult than from working with couples, as it is with those who are struggling with mental mental health, or perhaps they are just wanting system navigation. So when counselors receive this information ahead of time, they can begin to collect resources, uh, tools, or maybe consider strategies that might be helpful for the person seeking support. I believe that an intake screener is so valuable that I would suggest that even those who are doing informal peer support have some sort of prepared questions or regular questions that they ask to clarify uh, when someone is asking to meet with them. This alone is going to give you a heads up about the nature and purpose of the conversation. And it's a good idea to ask what they want to meet about and how they expect you work to help. It's just, it's really, really helpful to know people's expectations ahead of time. 
So you can have standard questions either on paper or maybe it's an online form that's linked to your um, software or you're just ask these questions verbally. Either way, it is helpful for both the person seeking support and for you as the caregiver offering support. It's also going to help prevent sessions from extending to be two and three hours long. I've heard about this where people are meeting with people in, in their offices or at Tim Hortons for two or three hours. And just because the person needs to vent and they just weren't expecting that. And when these support, support sessions are this long, they're not actually helpful for the person seeking support. And let me tell you, I'm sure everyone can know that these are absolutely exhausting for the caregiver. The length of the support session really depends on the environment and capacity of the person seeking support, but should not be longer than about 45 to 60 minutes. This is beneficial for both people, and by having some sort of screener identifying the reason of the meeting and the goal, you are creating parameters for the conversation to stay within. In the show notes, I have offered a, there is a template that you can download of an intake form. I really recommend that you download this free intake form or this free template and adapt it to fit your church's needs. This is a really, really helpful tool that I think uh, will be beneficial for your, for your church and your support sessions. The next tool I want to suggest is using scales or applying measurement to emotion. When someone asks you, how are you feeling today? Your automatic response is usually to say fine. But what if someone asks you the questions? Okay, on the scale of one to five, how are you feeling today? Now, in order to answer that, you you need to stop, think, reflect, evaluate, and then answer. And the answer you give is probably going to be much more accurate than just fine. When you're supporting someone, you are walking with them through some really difficult emotions and feelings and thoughts are all swirling around in there. And these are things that are really hard to describe and even more difficult to measure because someone's crisis is going to be different than your crisis. So everyone has a different measurement. And it's common for people to actually only be able to identify about five or six types of emotions. And so when you ask them, how are you doing? It can be really tricky to describe because the five or six are sadness, happiness, uh, fear, surprise, anger, and disgust. So if it's anything outside of those basic five, describing what they're feeling is going to be really, really challenging for them. So I really recommend that people offer a scale because choosing a number to represent how some how they're feeling is so much easier than describing an emotion with words. Numbers are neutral and emotions are packed with baggage. So by using scale in our support work, we're actually doing three things. Number one, we are expanding their vocabulary to describe emotions and feelings. Number two, we are shifting from vague subjective descriptions and applying a measurable figure. And thirdly, we are able to more accurately assess where the person we are supporting is in their journey. 
numbers have this assumed relationship to one another. Like the number seven is larger than six, but it's less than eight. And so this allows your conversation to go deeper by asking why if someone described themselves, oh, I'm a seven out of 10, you can ask them, why aren't you an eight? Or what's preventing you from slipping down to a six? Or what what would help uplift them to an eight? You're no longer just identifying subjective emotions, or I'm not doing well, or, or I'm fine, or I'm better than last week, but you're actually getting a better understanding of where the person is at. And this allows you to see if the person is declining or improving, or if they need further support. Now, another type of scale I like to use is colors. Like numbers, this simplifies the process of describing emotions. By using a simple green, yellow, orange, red scale, people can self-identify where they're at. And I, I often describe green as feeling like, oh, you're good to go. You have positive energy. You're excited about life and you're doing really well. And then red as being in a crisis, obviously with orange and yellow somewhere in between. However, when I was meeting with a young kid in walking counseling, I used the scale to, and asked them to describe how they're feeling using a color. And this smart little kid, he picked purple. And I was just like, dude, there is no purple on this scale. But then he said, you know what? I'm a mixture of red and blue. And then he went on to describe what red and blue meant. Red was angry and blue was sad. And I think this was just such an amazing insight to how he was feeling that I don't think if we asked this little eight-year-old directly, how are you feeling? He would have been able to describe that. So these type of conversations are really valuable. You begin to hear about triggers or stressors or warning signs. And in this context, people often identify strengths or support that they're using that they would otherwise have really difficulty identifying when directly asked, like, how are you getting through this? difficult time or who's supporting you or what do you do for self-care? People have a really hard time answering those. But when you say, okay, what's preventing you from um, going into more of a red or what is what is helping you? Um, what uplifted you from a six to a seven this week? People are able to describe things so much easier. Using numbers and colors to describe emotion is a strategy that allows you to shift the conversation from venting to action. It allows you to assess if these need, if there's a need that needs further support or referral, but it also gives you something to measure if you're meeting with this person on a regular basis. I find that people seeking support can fall into two different categories. Now, I'm sure there are many categories, but these are the two that I often see. Number one, they have been struggling for a long time. Things have been building up and then they finally get the courage to meet with someone and they can't hold it in anymore. And once they start to share, it's really hard for them to stop. They are going and going and going. And you find yourself in a meeting with someone talking nonstop for an hour or more. So that's one category of people. Or they can fall into the second category where they come and they book this appointment to meet with you because they know that something's wrong, but they just can't put their finger on it. Or, or perhaps someone else told them they need to go and talk to someone and they need to get more, and getting any information out of them. It's like pulling teeth. They just don't know what to say and they don't know how to describe what they're experiencing. 
So this third strategy I want to offer is going to help you put parameters on the conversation if the person is venting or like exploding or spewing all of this information all over you, or if you need to draw out information from a person who is closed off. And this is using the seven components of well-being. There are seven areas of our life that contribute to our well-being or we're able to identify um, that support our well-being. And I'm going to quickly, just very quickly run through this. The first one is physical. And this is like our physical health needs like sleep and eating and our, you know, pain and just our physical well-being. The second one is our social, our need for relationships and connection and boundaries. The third one is our occupational. So this is like our need for our purpose or things like our daily routine routine or schedule or or small achievable goals. Our fourth is emotional, our need to express feelings and even the need for rest is in this area. The fifth one is spiritual or a need to be connected spiritually or as in the Christian perspective it would be our need to have an active relationship with Christ. This also includes forgiveness and hope. The sixth area is intellectual, our need for growth and development of skills, our gifts, learning, and even just curiosity for new information. And then the seventh area of our well-being is our need for safe and supportive home and our being a part of a community. And in general, most people can manage when one of these areas are struggling, but it can be really stressful, but it is manageable. But really, when people are experiencing crisis or really struggling in two or more of these areas, this is where we are often finding people seeking out support. And all of seven, these seven areas are interconnected. And it reminds me of the scripture where it talks about the body being knit together or in Corinthians when it says when one part suffers, the whole body suffers. Now, I realize these scriptures are in the con- are in context and speaking of the church and the body of Christ. But I'd like to draw on that thought or that approach of what happens in one area is going to impact others. For example, when your physical health is suffering, say you are experiencing chronic pain and after a while your social needs are probably going to be impacted because it's hard to participate in activities that you once did. And then if things continue not to improve and they continue to be a struggle, then you're probably going to have emotional impacts and so on and so on. So suffering in one area of life, if it continues, then it's likely going to impact other areas of life. And this is what's happening actually when someone is venting or verbally like spewing all of this information at a support session. What has happened is that many of their areas of life or many of those seven components are all being impacted. And really it's just them having a difficult time describing it. All they know is that chaos is happening in all the areas and they just cannot compartmentalize it. So in these cases, when someone is just, you know, it's been 20 minutes and there's no end inside of this person going on and on, I actually start to draw out, I take a piece of paper and I draw out these circles of areas of life. And as they identify an issue, I write what those seven components are that they're describing. And then they continue, as they continue, I start to draw lines you know, as they bounce from story to story to story. And this really helps them see and identify what's going on in their life. And this allows you to guide your conversation and focus perhaps on just one or two areas without feeling the pressure to solve the problems in all of these areas. Because people want to talk about all of it, but you can say, look,
work. I understand and I'm seeing that you're having struggles in all of these areas, but we're only going to focus on one or two because these are interconnected. So we're going to start here. And then for those who don't want to talk at all and they're just clammed up, drawing these seven circles actually gives you topics that you can inquire about. These are areas of conversation. How are you doing in this area? What is helpful in this area? What is not going well in that other area? More often or not, one of these areas are struggling and you can have more of a productive conversation once they are identified. So while these seven components can guide your conversation, discover where the focus is, I also apply the phrase, dig where the ground is soft. What this means that is someone is overwhelmed with all the things that are start in their life and they don't know where to begin, dig where the ground is soft. Don't start with the hardest area of your life, but start working in an area that is easier and that they feel more confident in. Because remember when I said that all the components are connected, this also applies when there is healing, where there is growth in one area other areas are going to be strengthened. And so I really recommend you dig where the ground is soft. You well, you identify the seven components, you identify which one is the easiest to start with, and then start there. Build some momentum before you move on and try to tackle everything. Another reason why discussing the seven components of wellness is a great tool is because it offers a lot of ideas for homework. <laughs> support sessions, uh, if you are someone who has been doing support sessions or um, pastoral care for a while, you know that usually support sessions or meetings are just check-in points for reflection, or you're talking about the next steps, or or you're offering encouragement. Really, the real work of improving and seeing change in your life is happening outside of these meetings. And so these seven areas can create um, ideas for homework or goals that people can work on once, you know, they go home and back to their to their regular life. I've been told that very few pastors have received training on offering pastoral care. And even when there has been training, it's been usually focused on theology and theory. And while I think this type of training is absolutely essential, obviously, of course, we want to have good theology and we want practices based on valid theory. Absolutely, 100%. I also think it's important to learn strategies and tools that are going to help you navigate pastoral care sessions and give you the tools to support people rather than just being a safe place to vent. And I hope that these three strategies, implementing an intake tool or a screener, using numbers or color scales to assess, and then utilizing those seven components of wellness to guide the conversation. I hope that these three strategies assist you in getting the most out of the pastoral care sessions that you are offering. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. I hope that it's been useful for you. And if it has been, would you be willing to share this with others? I am passionate about seeing churches equipped to offer care for its community. And I could really use your help in sharing some of these tools or this episode as a tool or a resource for those in the local church. Thank you so much. I hope you have a fantastic week. Take care.